You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. And my name is Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Today you're joining us for a conversation about the, the whole idea of slow church. It was an idea that um, has been around for a little while now, uh, but Christopher Smith and John Patterson wrote a book called Slow Church. And sort of, and, and sort of what does that mean? And we, we talked with, with Chris Smith today about that and about what sort of, how does that tie into the, the slow movement more generally and what does that actually look like and um, how do you, what about church growth and what about um, how do you measure things or should we be measuring things with statistics and yeah we talked about a phrase you've most likely heard the mcdonaldization of xyz in this case we talked about the mcdonaldization of church the mcdonaldization of even church liturgies claire mentioned the stats how how churches are using stats, even like sports use stats in order to, to measure things at church, to measure how well the worship is going, to measure how well the, the the pastor is doing, to measure how well the evangelistic team at a church is doing. We talked about that uh, a bunch. Uh, of, of course, the slow movement in the slow church is uh, is pushing back against our ideas of 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 numbers and and how do we measure success at church so this is a very interesting one and the kind of reproducing of sort of sameness and things like that but actually yeah. looking, paying attention to place and people and so on chris smith is a longtime member of the inglewood christian church community on the urban near east side of indianapolis in the u.s he's the founding editor of the inglewood review of books and an acclaimed author and he's also written a book just recently called how the body of christ talks recovering the practice of conversation in the church as well as slow church so we had a conversation with him maybe a year or so ago as well so we're delighted to welcome him back to the podcast so we hope you enjoy our conversation with chris smith To the Regent College podcast. Oh, it's great to be back. Thanks, Claire. It's good to have Christopher good to have you Christopher Smith. Good so, to have you here. The man who loves Thanks. books and <laughs> yeah, I do love and, uh, <laughs> and reading. Um, we were just joking before um, about, which we'll talk a little bit about this idea of the McDonaldization of church. And I, people keep saying on other podcasts, oh, Chris Smith talks about this. Chris is saying, no, it wasn't me. With someone else, <laughs> um, so we're we're going to talk. Well, why don't you? Why don't you? Um, why don't you actually talk about that? Why don't we start with that? What What do you mean by this concept? What What is? What do we mean by this concept of the McDonaldized church? Sure. So it's borrowing from a sociologist uh, by the name of George Ritzer, uh, who put out a book in the late 1990s, I believe, maybe 98 or so, 95, 98, somewhere in there, uh, called the McDonaldization of Society. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And just basically kind of looking at uh, the way uh, that society has been speeding up. Uh, and as a sociologist, he kind of articulated some characteristics of that uh, kind of uh, societal phenomenon mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. Uh, the 20th century, at least, and probably, I would argue, even longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on one hand... Um, this isn't this isn't something new. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Oh, uh, we're in the social media age, uh, and 
and everything's falling apart. Mm. Um, well, certainly social media and uh, is a uh, phenomenon of the kind of fast culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there's been a lot of things that have been building to that. And, right. uh, and in some senses, uh, Slow Church uh, is a response to that in that uh, how do we learn to recover uh, some sense of being together, being being a community, being a society mm. uh, together uh, mm-hmm. in the church, beginning mm. in the church, but but certainly not ending there. We're not kind of advocating for a sort of sectarian uh, approach to church. Yeah, I was going to say you're just like the McDonaldization sort of thing is is part of a larger cultural movement. You would say that the slow church movement is also part of a sort of a bigger slow movement. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want yeah, to I do. talk uh, more about, about that? Sure, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, but I do want to kind of push back for a second. Mm-hmm. I do personally, I, uh, I'm not always comfortable with the language of slow church movement. Um, right. One of the thinkers that we've learned a lot from uh, is Wendell Berry, yep. uh, the American uh, farmer and poet and essayist. Uh, and he has a wonderful essay called In Distrust of Movements. Um, uh, which basically, kind of the observation there is that uh, a movement, a social movement, particularly a kind of activist uh, sort of movement, uh, tends to narrow over time and kind of harden mm-hmm. and become narrower, narrower. Uh, and then, in some senses, uh, as it does so, it becomes at odds uh, with yeah. uh, more things uh, and becomes more fragmentary. Uh, and uh, uh-huh. Barry, who very much believes in the interconnectedness of humanity, the interconnectedness mm. of God's creation, um, really uh, kind of uh, distrusts uh, that sort of mentality that mm. we, we focus too narrowly on yeah. one sort of phenomenon. And we kind of forget uh, that things that maybe we don't completely agree with. I mean, certainly this is... I mean, I think a wonderful example of this is just kind of the the polarization of of American society, particularly, but also kind of Western society to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I mean, it's very easy to think that those that it's very easy to to come to demonize uh, those that we disagree with, uh, to to forget that they're humans uh, just like we mm-hmm. are, and that mm-hmm. there's probably more that we share in common uh, than. Uh, than we disagree about. So anyway, so that that being said, yeah. I mean, I understand why. Uh, I mean, it, it's difficult. How do you talk about slow church? What is slow church? Yeah. Um, I tend to think of slow church as an ideal, uh, mm. something that mm-hmm. uh, that we are hoping to hoping to live into. I think I think there's a lot of good things there. Uh, probably some things. And certainly, the book came out. Slow church book came out in 2014, so it's been out for mm-hmm. almost seven years now. It's hard to believe. Um, but but certainly, there's things that we've been learning along the way and probably right. wouldn't articulate it necessarily in the same way mm-hmm. uh, that we wrote it in the book. And I think that's a good thing. Totally. Um, Agree. Uh, but uh, uh, so, so Slow Church is somewhat of an ideal that we're kind of learning and growing and uh, kind of re-articulating. Uh, and the same thing I would say with, with McDonaldization uh, that, um, I mean, a little bit hesitant talking about uh, a particular – a McDonaldized church or a particular slow church uh, for that mm, matter. Mm. Um, because it, it's more about an idea and we kind of, all churches kind of exist on a spectrum yeah. uh, between mm-hmm. slow and fast, <laughs> between yeah. slow and McDonaldized. Yeah. Um, and I think the part of the journey is learning to kind of 
uh, move a little bit on that spectrum uh, mm-hmm. toward toward slowing down, toward being attentive uh, to uh, to one another, to our neighbors, to our place, to all yeah. those uh, wonderful gifts of God. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but anyway, so- let me let me go back to your question though, because I think it's a good one. Uh, what's the history here? What what are what is this kind of slow movement? So it begins with slow food mm. uh, in the late 1980s in Italy. Uh, so there was a, uh, a McDonald's uh, restaurant that was proposed to be built on the uh, near the Spanish historic Spanish steps uh, in Rome, and there was a group of activists um, that uh, were really opposed uh, to that. Um, they thought it wasn't just enough to kind of deny uh, the McDonald's the place, but they wanted to say what. Why is it that uh, that we're opposed to McDonald's? What is yeah. it about that? Um, and what 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 is the what is what, what alternative can we offer uh, in terms of food? Um, and so they kind of started to imagine. Well, what might slow food uh, look like? Mm. Um, and uh, so they kind of uh, came up with uh, three kind of cardinal virtues. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of defined uh, for them what slow food was. And, and so slow food has become this great international movement over the last 30 uh, mm-hmm. or more years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the three cardinal virtues that have defined the slow food movement over those years, and again, there's been, there's conversations and kind of reimagining and rearticulating, yeah. but these things have stayed fairly consistent as kind of the guiding lights of slow food. Uh, food that is good, uh, tasty, um, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a quality about it, a quality to the way that it's prepared. Mm. Uh, it's prepared with care and love. Um, uh, so uh, food that is good, uh, food that is clean. That's, uh, we say sometimes that's an ecological virtue. Uh, the food is produced uh, with attentiveness uh, to the ecosystems within which uh, it is produced or mm-hmm. raised. So, uh, so food that is good, food that is clean, and the third virtue is food that is fair, which is an economic uh, virtue. Uh, basically, the people that uh, do the work to to grow the food, to uh, transport the food, to uh, bring the food to to your table in whatever form, or to your kitchen at least, um, are paid a fair wage mm. uh, for uh, for the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so those kind of three virtues have really. Uh, shaped our imagination of what slow church might look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the kind of the three, uh, the three. I like to talk about them in terms of three dimensions. Uh, that mm. you can't have one without the others. Just like if you have a a, a cube or something, uh, you can't ha- just have the the length of the cube without the width and the height. Right. Also, the, right. you kind of got to take all three of them together. Um, so, but the, kind of building on the the slow food virtues of good, clean, and fair, we talk about ethics. Again, about the quality of our life together uh, versus uh, all the different sorts of quantities mm-hmm. uh, that we're tempted to define our growth and our progress by as churches. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and really, just uh, in terms of our Christian discipleship together in our churches, uh, really focusing on the on goodness, on quality. What is the quality and depth of our uh, of our life together? and our discipleship uh, with mm. one another uh, rather than just kind of the more superficial uh, looks uh, that metrics like what's in the offering plate, how many people show yeah. up for a service on Sunday morning. Um, so that's kind of, so ethics is the first one. Ecology, uh, very similar uh, uh, to what uh, Slow Church, our Slow Food uh, 
means by clean, uh, mm. that our, our discipleship uh, isn't in a vacuum. It's always kind of being lived out in relationship uh, with neighbors, with places, mm. uh, with economics, mm. uh, locally and globally. Um, and so what, uh, how do we be attentive to Christian faithfulness uh, within the dynamics uh, of all those other sorts of relationships and histories in which we are embedded racial histories. I think that's another one. Uh, how do we uh, be, be honest uh, uh, and faithful uh, uh, in living uh, within uh, our racial history? I think uh, particularly for white folks mm. um, like myself. Um, and so uh, part of the uh, part of what we mean when we say ecology is uh, let's pay attention to those things. Let's learn to exegete our places uh, who who are our neighbors? Why are yeah. why are our neighbors? Why are these neighbors here, and maybe not us? Some other uh, demographics of people. So that's part of what we mean by ecology. The third one uh, is economy. Again, very yeah. much uh, a very easy to see parallel uh, to uh, the slow food uh, virtue affair. Uh, particularly uh, when we talk about the economy of uh, God's creation. Um, we are pushing back on the mentality of scarcity. Um, pretty much any sort of mainstream economics uh, has built into it uh, a sort of axiom of scarcity, uh, that there's not enough resources uh, to go around, um, that there must necessarily be competition for scarce means, I think is how, uh, is kind of one of those uh, uh, epithets that you mm. kind of hear from economists um, a lot. Um, but... Uh, but what we believe is that uh, there's more than enough for everybody, indeed, that God provides abundantly uh, for the life and flourishing of humanity and of creation. And uh, the problem, certainly there's the appearance of, are there, there, is act, there is real scarcity in the world. People do die of hunger or of lack mm -hmm. of good water. Uh, but the reason for that is not because of the inherent nature of creation, uh, right. but because of sin and brokenness and injustice in the creation. The, mm -hmm. the resources aren't able to flow. Uh, from those that have uh, way too much uh, to yeah. those that don't have enough. So anyway, that's kind of a yeah. long, sort of long-winded answer to give a little bit of background of kind of uh, where where Sloat's Church is coming from. Yeah, and to see how they sort of relate, how the church movement relates to the well, the church, not movement, the movement, <laughs> the slow church, slow church relates to sort of just slow more generally. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've read the book, and and it it doesn't it doesn't uh, frown upon big churches. But I've heard some people kind of use the book and utilize to to somehow attack big churches and how they're <laughs> doing it wrong and how they are just you know uh, trying to use people to to achieve their their great dreams and, and there's no much uh, no much of a community and stuff like that. But from what you're saying, it's not like uh, slow churches. The ideal is for for like big mega churches to disappear and become smaller churches to, to become like real churches. Sure. If that's not what you're saying, like a, a big mega church can be, could be a slow church. I think so. I mean, again, uh, I'm a little, as I was saying earlier, I'm a little hesitant to, uh, to the language of being a slow church. I, I think right. the, uh, a mega church can be, uh, learning from the slow church ideal and slowing down. Mm. I hope. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, I think, uh, let me tell a little bit of my own congregation's story here, uh, because we were really a mega church uh, before there was such a term for that. We were a church of two mm. or 3,000 members uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, 
Uh, and uh, now we're a church of uh, under 200. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't the goal. And I, I think that's important um, uh, when uh, kind of talking about uh, Slow Church. I mean, it's not, we're not out to, uh, we're not necessarily champions of small churches. Um, uh, and we're not out to uh, beat up on uh, mega churches. Mm. Um, but I think there's something about slowing down uh, that does have the effect of shrinking uh, congregations. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting, I was reading and talking with one of our pastors here about Acts 19, and particularly uh, the black theologian, Willie Jennings, mm. uh, interpretation of that, of that story uh, in his... Um, in his commentary on Acts, which is a wonderful uh, book that I would definitely uh, recommend uh, to listeners of this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but he talks there about um, the difference between a crowd uh, and a congregation, uh, that the crowd, uh, and kind of, I don't know, uh, it reminded me of uh, Soren Kierkegaard's uh, essay, uh, The Crowd is Untruth, um, uh, that, uh, and mm. I don't know to what extent uh, Jennings was familiar or influenced by that. Uh, but, but, uh, but Jennings talks about kind of the trajectory of a crowd, uh, kind of as it wrestles with truth, um, that it tends to shrink and become a congregation. And I mm. think there's something to that sort of mentality that, that a lot of what has grown, uh, mega churches, I think, uh, is this kind of, a highly energetic, um, stirring people up, um, uh, which, uh, which Jennings says is what takes to, takes to make a crowd. Uh, but that can't be sustained. That's not sustainable. Uh, that people that stick with it, uh, for a long time, mm. kind of that sort of energy dies out after a while. Yeah, you can't and, sustain uh, it, really. Yeah, <laughs> discipleship. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of yeah. Bonhoeffer's idea of the cost of discipleship. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, people start to realize kind of what, what the cost is, and they just kind of uh, check out and go their own way. Um, and I think that's uh, – so while I'm, – I mean, I'm not anti-megachurch, no. um, and I think that megachurches have a lot to learn about slow church, and there's certainly uh, larger churches that are – um, are kind of wrestling with a lot of the themes uh, mm. that mm. Uh, we address in the book. I do think that uh, if they continue, or any church, any church that uh, continues uh, to um, to follow uh, in the way that we describe, uh, there's a good probability, I'm not saying that uh, necessarily is a causal effect here, but there's a good probability at least that there will be uh, some shrinking in the size mm. of the congregation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then mm. how would you reframe growth then? What does is, what is sort of church growth look like? So if it's not sure. this kind of, yeah, do you have any thoughts around that? Sure, yeah, absolutely. And this is what we talk So this is kind of uh, falling uh, kind of squarely in the part of the book that we talk about ethics, mm. about what, how do we um, – how do we think about how do we narrate uh, particularly? Because I think it is a more sort of qualitative uh, yeah. sort yeah. of approach uh, yeah. rather than quantitative. Though there certainly can be quantities I think that we look at, uh, but but different ones than tend to define uh, church growth. Um, but what is the what is the quality of our life together? How are um, 
how well are we taking care of one another? How well are we uh, discipling our children, uh, caring for our children, teaching our children to follow in the way of Jesus in all its fullness? Um, I mean, I think as a parent of teenagers, um, I mean, I think that uh, that's challenging uh, because mm-hmm. the way of Jesus kind of resists coercion. <laughs> um, uh, and, and certainly, well, maybe children are younger, you, you can get away with kind of using more uh, gently coercive uh, sorts of techniques for raising your children, uh, for helping them to, to understand some of the dangers, uh, dangerous realities around them. Uh, you kind of aren't, uh, it's not healthy to do that with as your t- children grow up into the teenage years. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that uh, we need to have, uh, have some some maturity and thinking about our, um, the quality of our life together, how, uh, any, almost any sort of quantity can be yeah. a little bit, uh, reductive of yeah, the, yeah. the reality that's going on uh, behind it. I mean, even like how many meals are we having together in a month or in a week? Um, uh, again, there's ways to kind of juke, <laughs> juke that system. Mm. Uh, but, but I think it's maybe a little bit, uh, more, a realistic uh, measure uh, of of the depth of and quality of and our life quality. together, and where yeah. where do our members live? I think that's um, another sort of more quantitative. And how 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 much are they interacting with on a daily basis with other people in the church? Maybe not the church as an institution yeah, or just... the church as a whole, uh, but but how much uh, are those relationships carried on on a a daily basis or more than a weekly basis. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, again, uh, I think some of those things are, are moving in the direction of some more quantitative uh, things that can be measured uh, that are more reflective mm. of uh, 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 the quality of our life together yeah. uh, rather than just merely uh, bigger, stronger, faster. <laughs> yes, totally. uh, Which is typically yeah, but it's So you, would, you wouldn't measure how many... What people say, butts on seats, there are. That's not. Right. That's not a goal. In in in. No, in I don't think that's a helpful measure. Culture. That's that's uh, something. Because, yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, all the sorts of typical church marketing uh, techniques that have been used over the years, and I know those are changing, and mm. uh, maybe many congregations aren't uh, doing them in the same way that they may have done 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but they still still have quite a bit of influence, uh, and and those techniques can put butts in the seats, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean the congregation is healthy, mm. or that the congregation is growing. Really, um, right. that uh, I mean, for somebody to come and sit in a seat and kind of go uh, and do whatever they want uh, during the week uh, isn't particularly transformative. There's not a lot of uh, growth. I mean, because I think. I mean, Christ calls us to discipleship ultimately, and discipleship is growth. Discipleship mm. kind of comes from roots that mm. means being a student, being a learner. How do we how do we uh, be faithful uh, to to the way of discipleship uh, to Jesus? Discipleship that's always learning, always growing, mm. Um, mm. and encouraging. And it happens it happens in community. It's not kind of merely personal discipleship, but God God's desire. Uh, for for humanity was the gathering of people ultimately a gathering of the people that would enfold all uh, all humanity and all creation 
so to understand Christian discipleship is to understand it uh, kind of within that story that God mm-hmm. is God is at work gathering a people, a people that bears witness to uh, to the nature and character of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so discipleship can't just be uh, something that's personal and uh, completely apart uh, from that story. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to recover. And it's very easy, it's tempting to fall into that trap uh, because of the very highly individualized um, nature, the, the power of individualism uh, mm-hmm. in modern, modern mm-hmm. society. And that's why I say kind of some of the, the seeds of fast culture, fast food culture, um, uh, really kind of goes back to the beginning of uh, the, the early modern era uh, because individualism uh, is one of the kind of uh, driving forces that has kind of brought us to this place. Mm, um, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the yeah. reasons also that uh, is that uh, we chose slow church as the name uh, for the book and the ideal rather than slow faith or slow discipleship or slow Christianity uh, right. because we believe that what God is doing in the world is, is ultimately social. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're talking about uh, slow church. Um, mm. uh, um, sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something really, really important that she wants to share with you. For the last number of weeks and months, you will have had a little interruption from Octavio and I with me trying to say rgnt.net forward slash give. And the reason for that is um, that we love hearing from people who are enjoying and appreciating the podcast. We love hearing that. And we love hearing that you enjoy it so much that you want to give Regent a little bit of a donation to say thanks. And so this is an invitation to continue doing that or to do that for the first time uh, to allow us to continue to keep having these really good conversations with people all over the world about all sorts of things, about the good, beautiful kingdom of God and how it plays itself out in the life of everyday Christians. So if you would like to give a donation to Regent College to say thanks for the podcast, Octavia and I would be delighted. You can do that at rgnt.net forward slash give. And please, if you'd leave a donation, uh, write in the comment box over there that the podcast sent you. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest, rest of, of our the conversation. conversation. I, I think I think a question I have is is the usage of stats for for churches because mm-hmm. with, with I mean. Especially Americans, they are crazy on stats. That's especially oh, yes. for sports. You are yeah. the masters of the statistics, right? Yeah. And of course, they would use that for churches as well. In in, in the sense of numbers equals how you measure the, uh, how evangelism is going in a church, or how well the pastor is doing, or how so 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 you use a lot of stats to measure if you, you know the pastor the the pastor is going to continue for five more years or or like like button seat is like if people are sharing the gospel with friends they're bringing them to church so they use all all all, all the series of, of stats to see how, how the church is doing uh would you think they should do away with most of their stats or rethink all their stats or how how should churches use stats and what are actually uh the things they should be measuring 
That's a great question. I don't know that I've ever been asked that question uh, specifically uh, in the seven years or more, probably 10 years that I've been talking about Slow Church. Um, so that's a great question. Good I mean, job, I Octavio. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that American culture, uh, Western culture, um, is obsessed uh, with uh statistics mm. with mm. quantification. In fact, that was uh, mm. the sociologist that I mentioned at the beginning, uh, George Ritzer, who wrote the book, uh, McDonaldization of Society. One of the characteristics uh, that he noted uh, that was kind of, that was one of the building blocks of McDonaldized society uh, was quantification. <laughs> uh, this yeah. this mm. notion of to reducing things to to statistics, basically. Um, I don't know if he quite put it that way, but but that's the gist of what uh, what he intended by that. Um, and so, um, I don't I don't want to go so far as to say uh, churches uh, shouldn't uh, pay attention to statistics, uh, though though maybe. Uh, taking a Sabbath uh, from statistics might not be a bad idea mm. uh, for six months, so a year, I like that idea. Uh, mm-hmm. two years, um, just to, um, to, to uh, free ourselves from their chains, uh, as it were, to liberate, mm-hmm. uh, to allow God to liberate us. I mean, we don't liberate ourselves, of course, mm. um, but uh, uh, as, a, as an act of, of faithfulness to mm. uh, God's liberation, um, I think that... Uh, that might be a healthy step. I mean, I think that numbers can be a helpful part of language uh, that helps us wrestle with that. So, I mean, I think in the long term, while I might advocate for a Sabbath, I think long term, really, what we need is not kind of an abolition of statistics and numbers, uh, uh, mm. but a reimagination. Kind of a reform. Of what, yeah, a reform. And, and also kind of learning from the social sciences of the virtues of sort of qualitative reporting <laughs> of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, so many, yeah, there's a long yeah. history uh, within the Christian tradition and the, the Jewish uh, tradition, even going farther back than that of, of storytelling yeah. uh, and narrative. Uh, and I think uh, to learn to, uh, to use stories more in uh reflecting yeah. on our growth um not not to the exclusion necessarily of numbers but but to allow our our numbers and the numbers that we look to t- to define our growth and define our health <laughs> uh mm. to 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 learn to base those on the stories rather than vice versa yeah um, mm-hmm. what are what are the stories we're telling about ourselves who do we who are we who do we want to become and then what, what sort of quantities really give us an honest or as honest as possible? Mm. I mean, it's always self-deception is always yeah. a possibility uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for people as well as for communities. Yes. Uh, but but how, 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 how do we want to measure uh, or quantify um, this sort of growth that we believe God is leading us into? Because God will lead us into growth. Yeah, <laughs> God yeah. will uh, change us and transform us. That doesn't mean that God is always going to, to make us bigger uh, uh, or uh, more uh, flashy uh, mm. in, in the, the ways that the culture understands that. But God will. I, I think that's one, one thing that the scriptural story is pretty clear about <laughs> is that God desires... Uh, the transformation of 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 hearts and minds uh, and of people. Yeah, and there's an extent to when you hear a story, 
um, and the depth, you know, of of either what God's doing and the transformation that's taking place. You're like, oh, do you know what? If if it was just that one person, it's kind of worth it. You know, there's there's something in us that as you hear a story, which is why testimony is mm. such a kind of key part in the life of the church. That it's actually like, yeah, that's that's growth that's church mm-hmm. that's god at work you know and then that sort of it builds community it builds con- you know like there's all sorts of things that then happen out of the sharing of stories which is um yeah yeah no i'd love i'd love i, I haven't actually written much or thought a ton about it but i definitely totally uh, am of yeah. the conviction that i would love to see a recovery of yes. of mm. the the practice of testimony uh and certainly mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. more pentecostal churches uh, charismatic churches probably yeah, do a and better the global job church, of retaining I think, that practice as well, yeah. uh, than kind yeah. of churches that we know mm-hmm. as evangelical been, mm, um, or yeah. mainline. Um, yeah, global church too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but I think one of the things that I really like about that, and that's kind of comes back to uh, the language of slow church, uh, is that um, that in a in a time of sharing of testimonies. Uh, especially if you're kind of opening that up to the congregation or at least uh, inviting uh, mm. a broader swath of the congregation to, to share their testimony rather than mm. just kind of the pastor doing that or, or an elder or deacon or whoever is kind of one of the official church leaders. Um, it really kind of opens the door for our larger sense that, uh, that we're all in this together uh, and because one of the, the one of the problems of of a McDonaldized church is one that kind of elevates yeah. elevates leadership, uh, uh, and and we've certainly seen kind of all kinds of problems of that uh, over the last uh, decade or so with kind of leaders who are kind of either by their own kind of narcissistic mm-hmm. tendencies or by the the push of their congregation are, are burnout or fall into habits of, of sin uh, um, because, yeah, they, they've just been yeah. uh, uh, blown out of proportion of what uh, what is healthy. Um, uh, and, I mean, uh, and everything that we can do uh, to to recognize uh, that a church is all of its members and how that's part of the economy uh, part that we talk about uh, in the book, that the way that we say that God provides super abundantly for us, uh, but one, perhaps one of the Definitely. primary ways that God provides super abundantly uh, is in the people that God has gathered. Uh, and so often kind of the, the butt in the pew, as it were, uh, we're just not attentive to how that person mm-hmm. uh, who uh, shows up weekly and maybe involved in different things, uh, but we, we don't have imagination for seeing that person as a gift of God uh, that really has some, some skills and passions uh, yeah. that really mm-hmm. uh, could be a gift uh, for the mm-hmm. life of the body as a whole, um, uh, the life of our neighborhood as a whole, even perhaps. Too often we have a narrow imagination for the sorts of gifts mm-hmm. uh, that God has provided us. I mean, I think of all the kind of spiritual gift inventories that maybe aren't as popular now as they were mm-hmm. 10 or 20 years ago, but still that mentality, I think still kind of uh, lingers uh, uh, that, uh, that certain people have special gifts um, that are uh, yeah. uh, more mm. as, as George Orwell yeah. said, more equal <laughs> than others. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You were, we were talking about stats. You were talking now about, about leaders and in your book, you, you mentioned that, a lot of churches, especially like nine, and you actually give a number, 95% of Western churches 
operate with a come and see mentality. And you call them, at least in the book, attractional churches. And you were talking about leadership. And, and some people like for, for churches and preachers, they, they look for attractive uh, preachers, not in the sense of good looking, but in the sense of big personalities. Because we, we want to develop strategies to put butts in the pews and we're going to use this this attraction attraction uh, come and see techniques, and then we're going to quantify how did they work, right? How is this preacher doing? How many people are, are coming? And we need this flashy preacher, and we need because it's it's again guided by the big numbers and what you were saying the McDonaldization of of the enhancements of of the preacher of the uh, focusing on leadership instead of what you were saying on the people and their stories mm. and their gifts. Could you talk a little bit about that? The attractional churches. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, mm. I think that I think you've nailed it. I don't know that there's actually a whole lot I have to say. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I think that this this notion, uh, and again, kind of that's not the language of attractional churches, something that's been around uh, long before uh, we kind of talked about it, um, but but it's driven uh, too often uh, by this mentality mm-hmm. of just merely wanting to get uh, butts in the seats, um, wanting to grow the numbers in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, And so, so yeah, we hope we hope that we imagine something different. And now, so there in some churches, kind of over the last ten or fifteen years, maybe there's kind of been a swing uh, toward. I think the language mm. is something like kind of the outward uh, facing church <laughs> um, that is really uh, kind of. Uh, and 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 I think there's I think that that swing is helpful uh, of being. Uh, uh, engage in our neighborhoods, attentive to what's going on around us. Uh, but also, sometimes that can swing too far and just be the church kind of being, just kind of uh, latching on to uh, work that others are doing, and right. the church kind of loses uh, loses its identity, basically just becomes a social service uh, sort of mentality. So what we want is something that's kind of in the middle, I guess, between those, that the church matters Uh, the church, God is doing something in the people of God, mm. um, in the local uh, expressions of the people of God, uh, and the and those expressions are embedded in places. Uh, but those um, those yeah. congregations uh, do yeah. need to be attentive to to all the realities that are going on yeah. around them. Um, One of the parts of the book that I love the most was yeah. when you're talking about the McDonaldization of church is because you have a system that you copy. And you, like you branch out and everybody's doing the same, same worship, same times of, of sermons, same type of, of liturgy. And you just like copy and paste, copy and paste. And what you were talking about is they, they're not like those churches that are copying. They're not, you use the word exegeting their, their communities. The, the liturgy is the same. The type of songs they sing is the same. The times of worship is the same. And the liturgy doesn't adapt and doesn't exegete to their local communities and And I, I, I love that part because we're approaching uh, the end of the podcast and, and I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, we want a uh, part of what we're imagining of Slow Church uh, is that uh, is that our liturgy in the broadest mm-hmm. possible sense, a liturgy kind of coming from the Greek yeah. roots, meaning the work of the people, uh-huh. uh, which is much broader than just kind of the worship gathering. Uh, but what is our common work, our common life together? Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly including yeah. uh, what is traditionally thought of as worship or liturgy, uh, or li- worship or liturgy. Um, but uh, 
but also kind of how do we how do we work together uh, in our neighborhood? How do we, and again, hopefully that will I'll open the doors for, for more of our people to be involved in, as I was talking about a couple minutes ago, uh, not just kind of the, the pastors or others that are identified have a title as leaders in the church. Um, but, um, but yeah, and hopefully, hopefully that will start to take on, we use the language of the kind of, uh-huh. of wines, of terroir, uh, the flavor of the place, uh, that the, the work that we are doing, if we're doing it well, uh, will be attentive to, and will start to take on the flavor of right. uh, flavor and rhythms uh-huh. uh, of uh, of the neighborhood where we are. Um, and it's not kind of one size fit all. I spent a long time, uh, not a long time. I, I interned with a church uh, over twenty years ago, I guess, but uh, within the vineyard uh, tradition. And one of the things that I liked about uh, that vineyard mm. church and some of the other vineyard mm. churches is that a lot of they they wrote their own music, um, uh, and uh, in some ways that has kind of become commodified a little bit uh, because the, uh, there's a, a marketplace for mm. uh, some of the the, the mm. fresh uh, uh, sorts of worship music uh, that they were producing. Uh, but, but I appreciated that, that congregations were trying to, to write songs and, and liturgies uh, that were meaningful for them, that included images and stories mm-hmm. uh, from, from their, their own experience as a congregation. And I wish, I wish more churches would do that. We're starting to do, uh, some more of that um, here at Englewood. We've been learning about that, um, but also just again, I think one of the big things with Slow Church is uh, and the economy of Slow Church. Uh, and I've kind of I can't state this strongly enough is that church is much more mm-hmm. than uh, a gathering on Sunday. Uh, church is twenty four seven, three sixty five, and how do we? How do we really bear witness to that, to the reality that God's reconciling all things and calls us to be faithful? And so our work, um, our, I mean, again, kind of part of the fragmented nature that we've inherited in Western culture is kind of the fragmentation between right. home and work and church. And those spheres rarely overlap one another. And we really want to uh, mm-hmm. give churches permission and imagination uh, for bringing those fears closer together and into, into conversation. And maybe our, in some cases to start seeing some overlap um, between, I mean, obviously the home and church, yes. um, uh, maybe it's a little easier to imagine uh, some of the overlap there, uh, but also work. Um, how do we, how do we see our work uh not just mm-hmm. as an expression of Christian faithfulness, uh, which is great. I appreciate Steve Garber's work and the ways that um, he's kind of uh, encouraging us to think about, think very deeply mm-hmm. and Christianly about our vocations. But how do we, how do we do that as part of a community? I think that there's, he's not said enough, um, at least in my estimation, right. um, about how do we, how do we integrate our vocations together? How do we, how does our, uh, my own personal vocation get informed by mm-hmm. the vocation of our congregation and the things that our congregation cares about and the place where our congregation is, there's really not been enough yeah. uh, yes, thought yep. about and written about. I and mean, probably the closest thing to that is Amy Sherman's book, uh, Kingdom mm-hmm. Calling. Uh, she starts to uh, plant some seeds mm-hmm. of imagining that, but I think yeah. there's a lot, a lot uh, more that could be, could be said and thought about uh, in that vein. Uh, and that's something that's been important for us at Englewood. And we started a number of different, different businesses. We probably started... 
half a dozen different businesses over the last uh, 20 or 25 years uh, that give us opportunity to uh, to work mm-hmm. together on a daily basis, but also to create jobs uh, for us to work with some of our neighbors uh, that maybe don't share our faith or uh, share or aren't part of our congregation, but maybe share our Christian faith. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, mm-hmm. I know that we're running out of time, but I think that's kind of the, the imagination that I hope, uh, that we're giving uh, people with slow church, uh, is, mm-hmm. is of these communities where we're learning to, uh, live more holistically, uh, live, uh, where home and work and neighborhood, uh, aren't all mm-hmm. kind of completely separate spheres, uh, but they're starting to overlap with one another, and that um, the fruits uh, of uh, that we experience in mm-hmm. one sphere can be can be shared and can be generative uh, in in other spheres. I was I was going to say the only other the only other thing that I thought could be interesting for you to chat about, Chris, is this idea of hospitality, and so that, mm-hmm. that a church becomes a place of belonging. So as opposed to a sort of a a bums in seat that then goes or or whatever this whole idea of uh, of hospitality and um, reciprocal blessing do you want to just sort of and how sure. that sort of actually pushes against a culture of speed so do you want to talk sure. just oh, briefly about that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think that's i think that's a great note to end on it's actually the note that we end the book on yeah um we talk kind of the image that we want to pe- leave people with as they kind of uh, set the book down uh, is the image of a church as dinner table conversation uh, and uh, there's kind of uh, two uh, sort of um, kind of two sides to that image, kind of the dinner table um, uh, of just mm-hmm. sitting down with one another and sharing food together. Uh, sharing food is sharing life. Um, uh, and uh, and how do we, what are all the details? What is the economy of that meal uh, that we're sharing together? Who does the work? Um, where does the food come from? How do we how do we really uh, bear witness to uh, the work of Jesus uh, in, in sharing a meal together. But there's also the conversational sort of part of it, the space that the table creates for us to, to share stories together, to mm. share our very lives together, um, share our struggles, share our joys, um, to be able to talk about them, to talk about things that are just confounding us. Mm. Um, uh, and how do, I'm, I'm having this trouble with my teenage son, <laughs> uh, for instance, uh, how, how do how have you who mm-hmm. maybe are a little a generation older? Uh, how have you kind of navigated this phase um, mm-hmm. and maybe similar uh, sorts of situations? Uh, ha- so so hospitality um, really creates that space, uh, and really hospitality done well uh, is uh, is uh, slowing down. I think yeah. um, no one has written uh, more. Uh, evocatively and well about hospitality than Christine Pohl. Yeah, we were excited yeah. when we d- did, we did a slow church conference uh, kind of to kick off uh, uh, w- with the launch of the book. Uh, and what we, John and I, my co-author, John Pattison and I, we didn't just want to get up and talk ourselves mm. um, about the book. Uh, we wanted to uh, invite in some of the people that we had learned from mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for various aspects of the book. Uh, so Christine mm-hmm. Pohl was one of those Yeah. Uh, one of those speakers that we invited in and she talked about hospitality and the importance for that of uh, cultivating a deeper, deeper life together, but also cultivating sorts of presence uh, with Mm. our neighbors Mm. uh, and also with other expressions of, of Christ church uh, of uh, people that are just passing through people that are coming to visit um, missionaries who have been in other parts of the globe 
the opportunity to um, have them stay in our homes or share a meal with us at least, uh, uh, and the opportunity that creates for, for relationship, uh, for sharing of, of stories and sharing of um, the good things of God, um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. is really important. And, and the nature, as you were saying, Claire, I think you asked the question very well, the nature of, of, uh, of fast food, of a fast food culture, a McDonaldized culture, uh, is that it doesn't, it doesn't have much time for that. Um, yeah. and I think that's kind of what, I mean, that's one of the things that we deeply appreciate about the slow food movement is that it kind of recognizes the, the sort of capacity that the table has for creating culture. Yeah. And certainly there's a long history of the importance of the table, uh, in the Christian tradition. Right. Uh, but, but to imagine the table as really a, a dinner table, a table where we're sharing more than just a bit of bread and a, a sip of ju- a juice or wine, uh, but uh, but a table where we're we're sharing our very lives together, sharing the the food that sustains us. And again, that doesn't necessarily. I'm not. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that churches need to change their liturgy of Eucharist. No. Um, yeah. But uh, to but rather to learn from the tradition of Eucharist. Uh, the importance of the importance and hospitality of mm-hmm. of eating together and talking together, mm-hmm. um, and the the ways in which uh, God, the Spirit of God, is among us uh, mm-hmm. when we're gathered together, mm-hmm. uh, particularly around the table. Of yeah. course, uh, that's not the way that it's worded in the Gospels, uh, but um, but uh, as as we come together uh, and share share around the table, uh, God is present with us, and God is. Uh, God is transforming us. Mm-hmm. Now that's a great place for us to end, Chris. That's a great note <laughs> yeah, for I think us so. to end, end, on, end on. Chris, thank you for your time and thanks for um. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks thinking for the so well, yeah, about all of these things and just and I think your experience mm-hmm. in it as well as what you've written about it and your own like just your own life that's trying to sort of wrestle with with all this and even rethinking some of the things that you wrote in the book seven years ago and like oh yeah I think I might mm-hmm. say that a little bit differently the kind of ability to adapt and change and be humble about those things but also let them be transformed along the way is is just great so thanks for um thanks for your time thank you thanks for listening to the regent college podcast follow us on facebook instagram and twitter to discover more about regent college its upcoming events conferences courses and more content like this visit rgnt.net that is r g n t.net